Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their stories and views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factor Magri, I have CEO of Beef and Lamb, Sam MacGyver, join me to discuss some of the current challenges facing the farming community. Sam joins me now. Hello, Sam. Happy New Year to you, and welcome back to the show. Thank you, Angus. How was your break? Did you have one? Well, well, I did. Um, there is uh, Christmas time is quite a good time to take a break mm. for me. Um, you know, you farmers uh, want to have a bit of time off, mm. and um, a lot of farmers are doing the, the minimum that they need to do to get things done, but also have a break themselves. And um, the, the government circles go a bit quiet. And mm. my kids mm. are uh, on school holidays, so this is a, this is a good time for me to take a break, uh, refresh, reflect, and um, come back to the new year ready to get into action. I hope you are refreshed because there's a bit happening. And indeed, policy change, of course, is an area, speaking of getting into it, policy change is an area that is seemingly endless for farmers, Sam. As a fruit-producing nation that relies on export revenue and, of course, food security is important not only here in New Zealand but globally. I can't help think policymakers should be reducing unworkable and cumbersome policy to help and enable our farmers. And a good example is the winter grazing rules, which to me seems absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one that you um, said enabled, um, Angus, because um, one of our objectives is, is really around policy that enables farmers rather than restricts them and and I think your observation is is that um, it hasn't really been enabling what we've mm. seen and mm. in fact what it's done is is actually restricted farmers from from getting on a journey that they're already already on and, and yeah. I think you know winter grazing winter grazing is a classic example of that right where mm. over the last five or so years um, farmers have absolutely um, seen uh, the potential issues and, and risks around winter grazing. grazing. Mm-hmm. Um, in pretty much all cases, they've cracked on and done something about it, put plans in place. Um, obviously, nobody nobody wants more paperwork in their business. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, that, so the government said, there's a consent process or there's a, or you're permitted or, or there is a sort of a farm plan approach. Mm. Um, but then, but then the government's absolutely failed to meet um, their own deadline for having the farm plan route available. Yep. So what does yep. that do? Yeah. All of a sudden it shoves farmers into a whole consent process. And so, mm. so you know, this is, this is a classic of, um, you know, that the aspirations are all good. Right. And, and I think, you know, mm. when I talk to farmers, farmers don't want to lose any topsoil mm. off their farms. Mm. They don't want to have a negative impact on water quality. Mm. Um, and so there's absolutely a commitment to do the right thing. But um, it needs to be, as you said, it needs to enable farmers to do the right thing. And, mm. and so it's really around um, practical, um, non-administrative um, tools that help farmers to get on and do that. Now, Damien O'Connor signaled change to me around sequestration late last year. What changes are you expecting from him in this area? Do you think he's going to follow through on his comments? Oh, well, the absolute expectation is that um, the government will follow through on what it said, which is which is full recognition of the sequestration that was put forward by Hiawaki Ekanoa. Yeah. Um, 
now now for me um the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating right and, yep. and yeah yeah and absolutely um we're wanting a commitment from the government that in 2025 that they will recognize uh, sequestration fairly and that a fair uh, value there's mm. there's no way that farmers uh, farmers should i say should be asked uh to pay when they're not been fully recognized on on the other side for their sequestration um, mm. so for us the expectation is that it will be fully recognized uh if when the Hewaki Ekanau or or the payment system is put in place mm. in 2025 and and indeed um the technology is there mm. um to do that now you know there there, there are many um commercial companies out there as as well as government infrastructure that allows yep. for that to be measured accurately and and reported accurately mm-hmm. and so what we want to do is is enable farmers again to to crack on and and do that and get the right recognition that they should for it. Mm, the expectation is that the government needs to follow through on its word with the detail. What about Indigenous biodiversity? There's a draft policy statement that to me looks broad and again cumbersome for farmers and indeed heavily restrictive on the use of their own land. What do you make of it? Yep. Yeah, I think the the key thing that we're concerned about uh, in here, Angus, is, is the de- definition of the of the SNA. Um, which is a significant natural area, right? Mm, um, yep. If you, if you, you know, if you look back to the to the um, to I guess the genesis of this policy, um, this is one that uh, Beef and Lamb New Zealand asked to be involved in, involved in, uh, but absolutely had the door shut on us by government. And and mm. this is a this is a classic case, I guess, of where government tries to do things alone without. Uh, talking to industry and those who have practical understanding on the ground, which is the farmer networks yep. that we have, yep. um, they get things wrong. And so this significant mm-hmm. natural area definition, uh, for us, it is too wide. And, and as you've pointed out, Angus, is absolutely um, restrictive around what farmers could do. Well, firstly, it'll capture too much. Mm. That is beyond what, what we deem significant. And secondly, it puts restrictions around what farmers can do around those significant natural areas. So it'll put, um, I guess, real inhibitions on, on farmers' just practical day-to-day um, utilisation of their land and, mm. and going about running, a, uh, I guess, an operationally efficient uh, business utilising their assets. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts or um, ideas around a change to that document or how that might look? SNA is is the um, is the, the key part at, at really narrowing down um, that definition. Yeah. And and again, uh, more freedom around what farmers can do around the uh, I guess the perimeter yeah. of that. I mean let's let's face it, Angus. I mean farmers farmers have been on this journey for thirty years. Yeah. Um one point four million hectares of protective native bush on sheep and beef farms. Yeah. It's not like it's not like these guys don't get this stuff, right? Yeah, it's, yeah absolutely. <laughs> they, they worked this they worked this out well before the government yeah. uh, actually did. Farmers were were biodiversitists yeah. um, well before the, the language came into government and everyone else. And, mm. and so again, it's just about getting behind them and, and beside them and saying, um, how do we how do we help you to, to do it better? Yeah. Um, or being able to get on with your business of producing food. Mm. The ETS and afforestation areas, man, they continue to concern me. Yes. The road we are on, to me, appears glaringly obvious that it's a train wreck. Why do you think the government continues to allow emitters to offset 100% of their pollution through the ETS? 
and indeed support the expansion of lock-up and walk-away carbon forests? Well, I can't answer why the government um, continues uh, to do that, because on every front, Angus, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Mm. Uh, firstly, firstly, we we know this is that we need to absolutely reduce our carbon emissions, right, as a nation, mm. in, in terms of our footprint. So, allowing uh, carbon emitters to offset 100% of their emissions is a is a real disincentive for them to make the hard calls about taking carbon out of their system, mm. right? Mm. The, the second thing is this, Angus, you you've made the point that we are a food producing nation. And, and and so let's look at the contrast here of a carbon farm versus a, a food producing uh, sheep and beef farm. So what does that do? It, it, it utilizes the environment uh, in, in the best way possible, right? Yep. In terms of those land resources. Mm. Secondly, uh, it provides employment and a contribution to a rural community. Yep. Uh, thirdly, what it does yep. is it produces export revenue for New Zealand. We, mm-hmm. We're the most export um, revenue-exposed nation in the world, mm. right? And, and mm. so driving uh, export revenue um, is really important. I mean, the red meat sector supports close to 100,000 jobs. Mm. It, it puts about $3,000 into every household in New Zealand uh, every year. And, and mm. so what the government is doing here is cutting off our nose um, despite our face. And, mm. and we know that at some point in the future, that carbon price is going to return to zero. Right? Mm, mm. And, and so what do we have at that point is that we have a bunch of those landowners with carbon farms that shut those gates and, and walk away. And, mm. and what does our countryside look like? What does the future of our economy uh, look like? It, it is just dumb stuff. And, mm. and frankly, um, everybody else, every other government around the world has worked it out except for our one. Mm. Um, no other government allows 100% offsetting Mm. of their emissions. Mm. And in fact, you go to somewhere like uh, California, I think it's a maximum of sort of 9%. Yep. So, so we're, just, we're, just miles off. we're just miles off where we should be on this one. And mm. so for us, you know, if, if we look at Hiwaki Ikenar and, and the industry's commitment to that, we're absolutely saying that before um, payments come in to, to, uh, for emissions in 2025, the government absolutely has to sort out uh, this offsetting because what what we're seeing is that sheep and beef farmers and, and the sector have been hit on two sides, right? Yep. Subsidised purchase of um, sheep and beef farms and taking out of food production, while at the same time, um, farmers um, having extra obligations and costs put on them and, mm. and not being fully recognised for what they're doing on farm. So mm. everybody else gets yep. recognition, but not the farmers. I know. Go it's figure. extraordinary. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, look, there's plenty to tackle out there currently, Sam. I just wanted to finish on this. There are some minority farmer groups and individuals who say that industry organisations like Beef and Lamb and Dairy and Z are not doing enough to fight for farmers. Can you speak to that and perhaps explain just how much goes in to representing and fighting for farmers in this country, particularly at a government level? End of the day, we're accountable to farmers and, and we're funded uh, by farmers and and farmers have every right to to question our performance uh, on on things. Um, you know, I can say that we that we work um, damn hard on on several fronts. The the first thing really is getting in at the front end and um, influencing what government's thinking about in, mm. in policy. And and unfortunately, in some cases, we get absolutely locked out of 
of that. You know, the biodiversity mm. one was a good example. I mean, Fed Farmers was allowed to be in that in that room developing some of that policy, but we were we were absolutely locked out as as um, Beef and Land New Zealand. And so, in this case, we had to deal with the consequences of it, right? Mm. Um, but but I can say that. Um, Listen, listen. It's con- it's continual, right? It's it's for us. It's um, it's water dripping on a stone, and ultimately we try to get get in at the front end. Um, we seek to build uh, trusted relationships uh, with officials. Mm. But, you know, the, we we aim to bring science and good analysis uh, mm. to the table. We seek to provide uh, practical solutions. We try to get farmers in the room with policymakers because at the end of the day, all of these changes have been made by farmers, right? Yep. Farmers farmers are the ones with the land mm. and, and who are looking after the environment. Mm. And so unless policy, as you said earlier, uh, Angus, enables farmers, it's just not going to work. Mm. And, and, and regional councils have worked that out. Farmers have worked that out. We've worked that out. And, and I guess repeatedly the call on... Um, on government um, is to work with the with the industry. So, mm. so for us, in terms of um, you know people people uh, questioning the way that that we're doing and how much we're doing and and how we're uh, fighting hard, I, I can assure farmers that we are uh, fighting hard. We we mm. try to communicate as much to farmers as we possibly can about uh, what we're doing. Mm. Um, but but at the same time, we we recognise that ultimately, um, government has the decision making power. Mm. They have a significant uh, majority in government, and and so our job is to always try and shape uh, their thinking. And and absolutely, uh, where we believe no is the right answer mm. on things, to, to very firmly um, say no. And and increasingly, we're doing that on a bunch of things because. Um, that legislation is is poorly thought out. Um, it's it's too much at once. Mm. It's it's not integrated. Um, it's not practical. Um, you know that the RMA is is the next one, and and you know Angus that has a little, been a little bit under the radar. But yeah. we've seen the same thing there. Eight hundred pages, and and while all of these aspirations are good, you know all of us want a more efficient RMA process. Um, we have no confidence that this 800 pages of legislation as it sits at the moment is actually going to deliver that. It's one thing after the other, isn't it? There's no time for one change to embed itself and allow farmers to practically get on with the job with new policy. They turn their heads for one minute and then the next one's lining up right behind it and the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, Angus, that's 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 our staff's challenge on a daily basis. And, you know, obviously... Um, you know, one of the ways that we seek to combat that is that we work closely with other organisations. We work very closely with Zed Farmers mm. on on policy. We work very closely with Dairy and Zed. Uh, we've got the Farming Leaders Group where where we look at uh, what are those common goals we're trying to achieve. You know, and Labour has been one where we've come together mm. on that and advocated together. So so we try to use all of our resources, but but it's fair to say that it has been an absolute uh, avalanche mm. of, of policy. And, and because because it's been poorly thought out, um, you've got to do so much more work on it from yep. an advocacy space, right? It's, it's, yep. not, it's not fine-tuning the 10%, yeah, yeah. Angus. Yeah. You're trying to fine-tune 90%. So, yep. you know, my challenge to government is, is that you've just got to think about the way um, that you're doing this. And, mm. and at the end of the day, we also know that um, the government policy people are knackered. 
Right. Mm, yeah. So so they they feel overwhelmed by the pressure that they're uh, facing from their ministers, and and so really, for us, we're saying to ministers, decide which one or two things are the most important. Let's do a cracking good job on that. Get it right. Get it implemented. Get it in place. And and farmers will get on and do the job. Well, I'll continue the job they've already been doing, right? Mm, yep, it's, that's it's right. About, again, that's it's, right. It's about this enablement. It's about enablement, Angus, not about um, telling people how um, they absolutely should do it in a language that nobody can understand and that we know is impractical. Yeah, and you are so right. Farmers will continue to do the job they've been doing in this country for the last 150 years. That's right. You know, just just on just on um, you know one of the things I always encourage farmers to do is. Um, you know, just talk to us about these yep. these things. Um, mm. You know, you know, often often we can have a conversation with with farmers that that looks at all sides of, of the argument, and farmers go, "Oh yeah, I can see, I can see why you're doing that." I mean, one to give you a really good example, uh, Angus, this is this is this is the challenge that we often have is that um, farmer reputation and perception by the wider society is really important. To them, right? You know, mm-hmm. one one of the things, one of the key reasons for farmer um, confidence and, and self esteem being knocked over the last three or four years is is their feeling that society doesn't recognise the role that they're playing and the fact yep. that farmers are passionate about New Zealand, right? They they mm. yep, sure they run a business, but but a part of a, a sheep and beef farmer's very being is that they're contributing to the nation, mm. are contributing food, which is which is a worthy occupation looking after an environment which yep. yes it's yes because they own it but but they recognize it's a contribution to New Zealand as well yep. um, and, and so you know for, for them um, it's it's um, having the wider public recognize what they're doing and actually they are mm. trying to do the right thing mm. so for us you know when when we're talking about policy um, I guess publicly we're, mm. we're always looking at to um, how is that seen by the wider public um, and, yep. and this is why you know, we're doing so much work on telling that farmer story. We've we've done mm. that life cycle analysis, right? Yep. It goes, oh, actually, yeah, farmers farmers are doing a great job mm. when it when it comes to the efficiency of their production and their carbon footprint. They're absolutely world class. They've made progress. Um, that's a really good reason for the New Zealand public to get behind farmers and and actually really enjoy um, New Zealand uh, beef and lamb at their tables uh, with a, with a clear conscience that. They're doing the right thing, and actually, they're, they're supporting a really worthy industry as well. Mm. Sam, I really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Angus, as always. I said last week we need to start celebrating farmers in this country, and I think it's time policymakers actually start to listen to that call and the call from farmers and industry. It's farmers who understand what can be achieved practically on farm. And it's industry who is best to wrap support around that knowledge. Farmers understand the importance of a sustainable farming future. They have the framework to achieve further improvements to environmental outcomes. So let them get on with it. Why is there such a thirst for unworkable legislation lining up one after the other from current policymakers? Why are we not setting policy that enables our farmers to do what they do best, which of course is produce food, underpin export revenue, and support nearly 100,000 jobs in this country. At times I wonder if current policymakers are asleep at the wheel, to be honest. And whilst I'm at it, we have to make changes to the ETS, 
I keep talking about this, but it's so important. 100% of offsetting by large corporate polluters in this country is flawed. It risks food supply and export revenue, which New Zealand relies on. It puts rural communities and jobs at risk. It does not incentivise change from large emitters. It simply allows them to dump their pollution on farmland that should be utilised to support the ever-growing need for food. So what do you think? And farmers, have your say. Get in touch with your local industry body representative and make sure your voice is being heard. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.